please welcome this evening's moderator, pop culture writer from MTV News, Crystal Bell. Hey guys, are you excited? I'm so excited, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, so this is like dream come true for me. So, yeah, right? So in a little more than a week, on November 18th, we'll all get to delve into a new era of J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm ridiculously excited. And to clap for my joke, I made a joke. No, I'm kidding. So I'm sure you all know now, you know, this story is about Newt Scamander. He's a magizoologist. He comes to New York City in 1926, and he ends up losing his magical briefcase full of creatures, and a few of them pop out of the case. And of course, as these things go, they end up causing a whole bunch of trouble, especially for the wizarding community in America. So, because I all know you've seen this trailer, but we obviously want to see it again to like, get the mood ready. We need the, that beginning music, right? So let's watch it again, right? Let's watch it. You've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York? Yes. Where is this man? So, you're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? Use travels first. Mr. Scamander, do you know anything about the wizarding community in America? We don't let things loose. Hey, Mr. English guy, I think your egg is hatching. You wiped his memory, right? The no magic. The what? No magic. The non-wizard. Sorry, we call them muggles. I don't think I'm dreaming. Oh, gave it away. I ain't got the brains to make this up. Wreaking destruction, and then disappearing without a trace. Witches, live among us. We've lived in the shadows for too long. I ask all of you, who does this protect? Us, or them? Danger, he senses danger. This is related to Grindelwald's attacks in Europe. This could mean war. We got a plan, right guys? They need our help. Was that everything that came out of the case? I won't let another one die. I refuse to bow down any longer. but that musical cue from Hedwig's theme always makes me really emotional. <laughs> so, here to talk about Newt's commander and the ragtag team he assembles, we have the cast of Fantastic Beasts. Should we bring them out? All right, so, 
We have Allison Sudol, Dan Fogler, Katherine Waterston, Eddie Redmayne, and Ezra Miller. Dan, what is, what is that package you have? Um, oh, um, yeah, I play a baker in the movie, and I, I was walking around before I got here early, and I, I thought it might be fun to get some cupcakes. And well, hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna, there's, I got like 12 of them, so we'll have some, maybe some, if you guys want them, then there'll maybe be some lucky people will get some. Um, Dan yeah. brought everybody one crumb of cupcake. <laughs> Everyone gets one sprinkle. You know what that just reminded me of was that every right, Friday on set, he'd bring us the most amazing oh. croissants. Croissant Fridays. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was an aggressive scene in the hair and makeup trailer. <laughs> yeah. They'd be gone in like 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah. I'm I glad that you really took the role to heart. Like You were like, I'm a baker, so I bring baked goods. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. When I asked Dan today, um, what are these, he simply said, it's Cupcake Wednesday. <laughs> awesome. It is. Maybe I should open it up. <laughs> Let's see them. Seriously. All right. So while you're getting your cupcakes situated, actually, this is a lot easier than I thought, so you could just show it. Oh, no. It's been a cupcake catastrophe. <laughs> Crushed. Crushed. They're still delicious. <laughs> It's like Harry Potter's birthday cake. Anyone? Anyone? Oh, it's so sad. It's really, it's really, it's really upsetting, actually. Oh. They look so... <laughs> okay. Oh, They're, still the They're still delicious. They're still delicious. They're going to taste just as good. They're going to stop me. Right. Should we put them over here? I have a table here and nothing to put there on it, go. so this seems perfect. You guys wanna, want one that isn't messed up? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Jump in there. Should we share yeah, one? Let's share one, Dan. There are so many people here who Dan want one. Been so nice yeah. to bring you, you want one, sweetheart? So few, we should certainly. No, I know. It's <laughs> I know, it, it got a little gooey. This one isn't really perfect. Dangerous. The integrity is. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> yes. So um, I want to talk about this trailer because my favorite shot in the trailer, and I don't know about you guys, it's the shot of the Niffler, like the slow-mo action shot of him being like, yeah, I know, I'm cool. Um, that being said, do you all the favorite Fantastic Beasts in the film? You have to, right? There's so many cool ones in this movie. That Niffler shot, the Matrix oh, Niffler. Oh, yeah, let me give these out, man. I'm so Pass sorry. I was so into my... Take a bite. No, that's Pass totally it on the fine. Eddie, do you, you, asking do which you have a favorite, favorite Fantastic Beasts? You're the closest to these, I, these um, creatures. Newt, what I love about Newt is he doesn't really have favorites, or he's not meant to have favorites, um, but he does. Yeah. And uh, so I think his favorite is probably Pickett, the bow truckle, um, who he's one of the bow truckles. There are a few in the film, but Pickett lives in his top pocket and um, has attachment issues and is always claiming that he has a cold uh, in order that Newt will like take him around with him. And that's what I used to do to get off school. You know, I'd do that <laughs> thing of taking a flannel and putting it under really hot water. and then That's a washcloth. From <laughs> my translator. <laughs> Shit, sorry. Um, and I'd put it under really hot water and put it on my head just before my mum came in so that when oh, she took great. the temperature, it would like be hot. So I, I related to Pickett in some ways um, in order that I could bunk off school. Oh, that's great. Did any, Ezra, I know you're a huge fan. Did you have a favorite Fantastic Beast? Yeah, I'm really into the Niffler. I really like the Niffler. I've always liked the platypus. 
Yeah. Uh, and now, yeah, I found a smaller platypus in the Niffler. And I don't really like shiny stuff, so I feel Nifflers would be very comfortable around me. <laughs> it's fine, just a little difficulty. It's okay. Allison, I feel like you have a favorite. You're ready to go. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, uh, I'd say the, the, the moon calves. The moon calves, because their um, their habitat is basically this like strange, wonderful, calm space, and they sort of just have this big eye, and they look at you. Like, and I love Dan. And they love Dan, and Queenie loves Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. There is and that. <laughs> I don't know why that had made no sense. The moon, you um, too. Uh, the moon calves. The moon calves are so sweet. They're really that. Well, that part's great. Nice you guys haven't cat. seen the movie. They, they have it. They oh, yeah. There's that. Trust us. They, they it's a great the, scene. They eat these pellets that they float. It's fun. You throw them and you expect them to land and they just go to... <laughs> and they just stare at the moon. <laughs> yes. Just run around with these massive eyes wherever the moon is. <laughs> staring at them. Now, talking about the Fantastic Beasts, I mean, how did you film those scenes? Because... Uh, obviously, I know, for example, on Game of Thrones, not to ruin the magic, but a dire wolf is like a tennis ball on a stick. So in this film, what, what, what was the Niffler? I mean, at one point, you tickle the Niffler. Like, what were you tickling? Were you just tickling air? Well, the, you know, actually, the Niffler is an interesting one because the, the wonderful thing is David Yates, our director, rather than going, this is how we're going to do it, handed it over to us to kind of discover in rehearsal what we needed. So... Sometimes, like for the Arumpent, this huge kind of rhino elephant-like figure, some of the people who'd worked on Warhorse um, created this huge puppet, like manned by three people. That was pretty extraordinary. Um, and then, but the Niffler, we got to meet the artists, the guys who were designing these creatures. And not only would they draw them, but they were the actors themselves because they were kind of characterizing these um, these guys. And there was a guy called Pablo who was like six foot three. And um, I was talking to him about the Niffler going, in this situation when Newt's having this engagement, what would the, what would the Niffler be doing? And he went, uh, I think he'd be going <laughs> And I literally did this extraordinary impression. And so I, then, I said to David Yates, I said, you know, we were meant to be using like a, you know, a cross on a stick for yeah. the Niffler. I was like, can we have Pablo be the Niffler? <laughs> and so basically Pablo, this poor guy, ended up having to sort of get down, crouch into kind of this tiny position and spend most of the film just sort of <laughs> sniffling around the, <laughs> around the floor. Uh, so that was really helpful. Did he also get to come back and play the bow truckle? Like, in your pocket? And, uh, but the bow truckle, no, the bow truckle was... They did make this little Giacometti-like sculpture, <laughs> which, which they would put on my hand to sort of... In order that I could feel the sensation of it. But then, really, the, the truth with the bow truckle is I would just sit there at home and occasionally on the tube in London talking to my imaginary friend. I'll hold it and you um, can do the Okay, so I'd just be sitting there, like, just chatting to him, talking, and then someone would be staring at you really weirdly <laughs> and you'd get some dodgy looks. But that was kind of my imaginary friend moment. That's amazing. But Eddie also did such incredible work with the beasts. Like in the scene with the bow, bow truckle, he's kind of clingy and holding onto his fingers. And when Eddie was working with the little Giacometti puppet guy, he made it look like he was having to tear him away. And it was re actually really heartbreaking to watch. And, it, you know, he's kind of actually on, you know, he could have a career as a puppeteer on the side if, th if things don't work out. <laughs> 
It's actually kind of amazing. I, I got the chance to see the film. So I'm not spoiling anything for you guys. You can't, you know, if you hit me up after, I won't spoil anything. But there, one of my favorite scenes is you, Eddie, just going for it, just com fully committing yourself to the role of a magizoologist. And it is Talk just the it. coolest thing. There is a dance involved, and it is awesome. Talk about and it. It, it, was everybody on set for that? Did you all get to witness the magic? Sadly, was it close no. set? I was there. I was there. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. Dan was watching. You know, it's amazing. Can I say this? It's, a, out of, it's amazing. Out of all the stunts and all of the action sequences, that mating dance is what he hurt himself on. <laughs> oh. I strained my inner groin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta She's stretch. Really, really you gotta painful. stretch. <laughs> And I was just amazed. I'm like watching him. I'm like, man, this guy is committed to this. He's so committed. Oh, and he, you did that so many times in the cold, man. Oh, no, it was a fun time. But it was amazing because in the script, the a most <laughs> wonderful thing about this, about this, um, about this, one of the wonderful things about this film is that when we read the script, not only does J.K. Rowling write amazing dialogue, but the description between, it was like reading one of her books and the detail was just incredible. Except in this one scene in which this whole thing happens and it goes and then so I was just reading it and then Jacob buys my thing and then Newt performs mating dance and then his went back to that I was like Newt performs mating dance. David? <laughs> what is you know, what does that mean? And so we did this weird thing where I went into a YouTube hole and basically looked up birds and animals doing mating calls and stuff and then I worked with this dancer who I'd worked with on the Theory of Everything and the Danish girl. And we literally were in a room and we were, I made a, humiliated myself doing these ridiculous dances. And I would send them the videos to David Yates. And the th like three or four hours before he would respond, you know, were the most excruciating four hours. Oh. Because they, they would come back with a really serious note because it's not, it's not meant to be funny, this dance. It's like a full on, com you know, it is a, a seduction dance. Yeah. And, and David would come and back going, I'm sexy. not. <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely supposed to be but, funny. But he would come back going, I don't know, I don't believe your intention there. And I'm not sure that it's sexy enough to entice this female rumpant back into the case. <laughs> and so, yeah, anyway, it was, it was fun. Yeah. And sometimes um, he would rehearse in the gym. We had a little gym and, and there was a little matted area. And so, so sometimes I'd be exercising in there and I wanted to respect his privacy because he was working it out and everything. And I want to make him feel uncomfortable. So I would not look ever, <laughs> but sometimes I would just hear sounds and it was so tempting to see but it was worth the wait for the film. <laughs> it truly was. I mean, we don't have this scene to show you. I wish we could, but we have another beast sh to show you. Do you want to see it? We have a clip. All right, let's roll the clip. Uh, what was, uh... Mr. Commander. It was open? Just a smidge. That crazy Niffler thing's on the loose again? Uh, might be. Uh, uh. Look for it. Look! Oh. 
His neck's bleeding. Oh. He's hurt. Oh, wake up. Mr. Nomad. <laughs> Mercy Lewis, what is that? Nothing to worry about. That is a Mertlap. What else have you got in there? So Dan, in that scene, we kind of see how vulnerable Jacob is because he's the only nomad. Yeah. So was that, were you kind of jealous on set that you didn't get to partake in any of the magic? Yes. <laughs> I had major wand envy. Uh, I wanted to, <laughs> but I got to do so, I got to do, to do so much fun stuff anyway, you know. I was like, a, like in, that <laughs> in that scene, in the rumpet scene, he gets, he gets that rumpant riled up and then she comes after me, man. <laughs> and, uh, and then um, he's running after me and that whole time with, I just, you know, I'm a fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark and I just imagined, you know, in, in my head, she was the boulder and I was in the Jones, man. And you know, that was, that was magic to me. I got to do so much great stuff. Yeah, and what I loved in the film were the scenes between Jacob and Queenie. There was actually a lot of romance and a lot of heart in there and Queenie to me is so interesting because I know she was originally written as a bit of a bombshell and it kind of all changed when you were cast right well, she's a bombshell nothing you're not a bombshell she's such no, a bombshell no 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 I'm really I'm, I never would in a million years consider myself a bombshell and when I went in for the part I had a really strange hair color because I had had my hair dyed like so many different colors for a role and it was sort of weird and brown and murky and I wore like a onesie because I wanted I didn't know what I was gonna do and so I just wanted to make sure I could move and um, and so uh, you know what what <laughs> what I was what I fell in love with with Queenie was that um, she she is an empath she is she is kind she's warm she's accepting she's nurturing she's fun um, and 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 she has this unbelievable insight into humanity because she she reads people's minds but it's not just their thoughts it's it's their whole story she reads everything about a person in an instant and and she doesn't even think anything of it it's just the way that she is and um and so yeah she's you know she, she's she's lovely she i got to wear you know i mean there's a lot of architecture going on a lot of help <laughs> to to create some sort of bombshell type situation, but she's just a, a wonderful human being. The hair on this movie, by the way, is fabulous. Every, Ezra, your hair? You mean the worst haircut of all time <laughs> that has ever existed in the history? Thank you. It's very kind of Maybe you Maybe I say. was the one person that liked it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, but that was cool. real I hair. Would do it. Are you going to go was, for it? That was no wig? Sure, why not? <laughs> um, no, no wig. Uh, they actually, they cut off enough of my hair to make a wig, um, which they did out of my own hair. Which I liked so much that I tried it on the wig and then got the haircut for Alien Covenant. Oh. So I actually completely you heard it here stole first, folks. his look. You stole his look. But it's like, we knew the bowl cut was bad, but this, this, isn't, this isn't even like a cereal bowl. This is like a, a bowl you'd put some sort of sauce or garnish in. Very shallow. Wore a lot of hats. <laughs> so, Ezra, a little more on that haircut. It took so... Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> the, you haven't spent enough time on the haircut? Yeah. Okay, you're right, so you're right, Chris. The thing about your character 
is that nobody, I, like, I, for months, people were like, Ezra Miller's in this movie? Ezra Miller, like, who, what? What is he doing? Because there was no photos of you. For, at Comic-Con, you were telling everybody you weren't even in the movie. He was, like, straight up lying. <laughs> like, you, your character was so under wraps. And then finally, when he was unveiled, and we all saw that, that, that first photo, I think everybody had that moment where they were like, oh, he's a gaunt. Or like he's he's part of the larger Harry Potter mythology. Is that something that uh, you yourself were kind of maybe like when you were first seeing this character, were like hmm, maybe he has something bigger to tell this story? Um, I mean, I couldn't see the haircut when I read the script, so it was harder. She didn't actually she. J.K. Rowling, a lot of detail in the story, but she did not actually detail his head looks like a mushroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> or worse. Um, she, uh, yeah, you know, she just said that uh, <laughs> he came off looking uh, a little funny. Uh, and so um, uh, I didn't have that indication that he was such a figure with such a mythologically terrible haircut um, until I met with our amazing um, hair and makeup department head, Faye Hammond. And she had these pictures from the 1920s. It was all very authentic. There yeah. was this picture of this very sad looking boy with that haircut. And she, you know, we were like, don't we think this has to be it? And I tr tragically felt that I agreed. I know for a fact they're growing the back out for the next one. Wow, yeah. So it's like yeah. mullet style. Yeah, it's like mullet, but still the shaved sides. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Of course. And then uh, <laughs> talking about getting into character, Eddie, one of my favorite things is I feel like every time you do an interview and uh, you have this amazing audition story, like, I, I, you know, you had this amaz amazing audition story for Bilbo Baggins and recently Kylo Ren. And, you know, we all know he auditioned for Tom Riddle. Uh, so I want to know, what's your Fantastic Beasts audition story? Well, my, my Fantastic Beasts audition story was that it was so cryptic. Like, on this film, everything about the film was still, was and remains so cryptic that we had to put our scripts in a safe every night before we went home we weren't allowed out of and like alarms and stuff would go off and we'd like snipers would appear if we happened to sort of accidentally take one home. um but so when i first heard about it i was just called from meeting with david yates um i didn't know what it was about unknown project and uh, it was in london and it was around it was winter time and there was this club called blacks and downstairs there was a fire and the whole thing was like something out of Potter and I and I have this little case like a globetrotter case which I've always taken to work I keep my I, I come from another set and I keep my homework and it's my way of making me feel like I have a proper job and I and I had arrived from work and I sort of met David and he was sitting there by the fire and he's like the kindest like gentle man in the world and he started telling me the story of Fantastic Beasts because Joe was writing the script at the time and of who Newt was and of this case and as he started talking about the case and how it was kind of central to the thing, I sort of just gently started like pushing back my case because I, was, I thought he thought I was going to be one of those actors who turn up like dressed as <laughs> Spider-Man or like dressed as the... Um, so it was... But that was the first stage. And then about every like month or three, I'd meet him again. And he... And so I was just being told this story as you would like a Charles... Read a Charles Dickens book or, or one of Joe's books. And eventually I got to read the script and I was always already so excited. And when I read the script, all of that excitement was just, if possible, superseded by 
the most wonderful thing. So I, 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 and then I still hadn't been cast, so I was like, please, can I play the part? And I just sort of, yeah, got, um, fortunately he did. Yeah, and I think, yeah, right, clap. <laughs> great. I think Newt is like a very atypical protagonist. You know, when I watched the film, I was like, he's not the chosen one. He's not the suave leading man. He's all sorts of awkward and very quirky. And did you relate to that on a certain level or? Um, yes, Sorry. absolutely. All of those things. I actually mean? genuinely do. Um, but no, but that's also what I loved is that, you know, Joe writes about outsiders and all of, all of our characters actually are outsiders and they, they build um, and, and find strength in each other and, and, and it opens, accesses parts of their souls that, that, that sort of become quite extraordinary. Um, but what I love is that Newt is, he's a mixture of things because he's kind of really useless with people, like he can't communicate with people, but he's incredibly passionate about his creatures and phenomenally competent with his creatures as well. Like, so it's not that he doesn't lack confidence, he totally has his own confidence, but he doesn't feel the need to people please. He's also not a warrior. There's one line in this film where he says to, to Dan's character, um, worrying means you suffer twice. And I'm like the biggest warrior in the world. And so I've now started using Newt's mantra as my mantra in life. So Newt's become my therapist. Uh, so it's all kind of, uh, it's all coming full circle. So we have another clip for you guys and you're gonna get to see a little uh, magic on display here. This one is featuring, it's a very cool scene featuring Tina and Queenie at work. Hot dog, again. Don't read my mind. Not a very wholesome one. Hey, Mr. Scamander. You prefer pie or strudel? I really don't have a preference. You prefer strudel, huh, honey? <laughs> strudel it is. Well, sit down, Mr. Scamander. I'm not going to poison you. So one of the reasons I really love this film, and it's, it's for scenes like that, being a big Potterhead, I feel like uh, a lot of the magic in those films, I mean, you were with Harry, Ron, and Hermione as they were learning. And it was very basic magic. And I feel like the magic in this film is very sophisticated. You get to see a lot of cool stuff that we didn't really get to see in those Harry Potter films, which is very cool. Uh, I know, Catherine, for you, you struggled just a little bit with the wand technique, but then you got it, because that looks wanna, amazing. I don't know why I'm getting singled out about this. <laughs> I mean, I think we all felt a little goofy at first. But um, yeah, uh, so when we were in pre-production, you know, we get a schedule in the morning and it would say like 10 a.m. costume fitting, 11 a.m. hair and makeup test. And then I saw one day at 12 p.m wand rehearsal and I thought what the hell what is this and they took me down a corridor and there was a door and led me into this room and in the room there was a cup on the table and a wand 
And then this woman, this amazing woman, Alex Reynolds, who Eddie has mentioned, um, came into the room and she was so amazing with the wand. She picked it up. She said, you know, for example, you could close the curtains and she just had this ease about her, you know? And then she handed me the wand and I like turned bright red, broke out in a full body sweat and she, like she just kind of held it pointed down. Like I didn't I was afraid to use it. <laughs> um, and she said to me, you know, just point it at the cup and slide it across the table. Um, and I don't know, I, I went to acting school. I did like uh, stage combat and I uh, shot a dog on Boardwalk Empire, not for real. But you know, I used weapons before and when you know that they could really do something, it's easier to suspend your disbelief. But because I knew I couldn't in real life actually move a cup across the table, it just, there was, it just made me kind of bashful at first. But then a few days later and after stealing a lot of moves from um, the Harry Potter series, we all started to feel pretty um, uh, cocky with our wands and, uh, and we're showing off to each other all sorts of moves. But in that scene, I, that was at the beginning of the shoot and I think we both felt a pressure to make it seem like something we do every night. You know, we didn't want to look like it was new to us. So we actually worked out that scene um, like a musical number and counted and open the cupboard and you salt the meat and we shut the thing and we set it all together in unison so many times and they were like waiting for us and then finally we were like okay now you can you can film us because we had to know where all the plates were and everything and it it was really fun to work out actually I sound so nerdy <laughs> was any of that practical because I know some a lot of the magic in the film uh, in the original films were, were practical there was actually in that scene as you walk into the scene um, there is you see in the girls apartment that there is some washing hanging up on washing um, on sort of on a line in front of the fire and I remember sort of we'd done, I'd been working there for about an hour and a half and I sort of looked up and there were like seven puppeteers with wires Dang coming down who were sort of making the making the washing move and uh, on the rack in front of the fire to kind of dry it it was kind of extraordinary. That's amazing. And I, I know you all had a little input in the design of your wands. I got to see them all up close. I'm really into your wand, Queenie. It's very feminine and very cool. <laughs> Thank you. But it's also simple. I wanted to make sure that um, she didn't become like a caricature of, yeah. a, of a bomb, you know, a bombshell or something like that. So there's an, a real elegance and your wand chooses you, right? And like, she's she's got a real power. I'm glad you like it. Anyways, it's pretty also. <laughs> it is very pretty. Um, that's amazing. And I know uh, for you, Catherine, you added a little weight to your wand. Yeah. <laughs> My wand heavier. isn't so pretty. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a real workaday wand. Yeah, it's practical. And, yeah, when she's I, a very practical yeah, person. Yeah, she's practical, and I also she's kind of got this internal turmoil going on during the, the film where she's not uh, she's kind of lost her groove, and she's not quite sure if she's ever going to be able to um, reach the potential she wonders she, if she might have as a as an R. So I thought. It, since your wand chooses you, if she got a wand that wasn't that special looking, it might kind of just add to that doubt that she will ever really achieve her greatness. But also sometimes uh, you can't judge a book by its cover and a simple wand might have a lot of power. So I just liked all of that. But yeah, it felt too dinky to me. So I made them put some kind of metal rod in it to make it feel heavier. A core, a core if you and will. And then of course I got uh, a wand elbow because it was so heavy. <laughs> 
that like when we did the big fight scenes, I wake up the next morning like, what, what did I do yesterday? Why does my arm hurt? And it, it, yeah, it's, it's a very particular, it's a, a flick. It's, a, it's a real thing. This is not a joke. Yeah. The three of us would come into, there was one morning we went into the, into the trailer and Catherine and myself and Colin, I remember seeing Colin like holding his arm and, and Catherine and over was like, have you got wizard's wrist? <laughs> Just like, and it was totally true because it's like you're doing these huge things. It's like playing tennis, but without, you're not making any contact with anything, but you're like fully, if you're us, you're like fully committing, you know, and it's like- And, and it's, not like super buff. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so uh, sadly it involved some strain injuries. And on that note, <laughs> um, so we all know that this is a uh, the first of five movies, right? Yeah, I'm very excited to see where it all goes. And um, it's kind of funny when I was thinking about this franchise, and we all know that the, the sequel they're working on the sequel, uh, J.K. Rowling's writing the sequel. Um, I'm kind of wondering like how the titles will work. Do you have any insight? Because I was thinking like, okay, you could go Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them too, but that's kind of boring. Um, there's just Fantastic Beasts. Uh, there is uh, Two Fantastic, Two Beastly. Yeah, that's right? good. Yeah, other places to find Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Fantastic Beasts and whoops, we forgot one or something. <laughs> <laughs> do you, where do to you find have, them again? Yeah, where to find them again. <laughs> Do you have any, and do you know at all what how these how they're going to be structured and titled? You no, know, I did actually ask that question to oh, really? David Yates and David Heyman yesterday, and and the answer is Fantastic Beasts will remain in the title if we go forward, and then it'll be and the oh, oh. all right something of the something. It follows that, a very similar to, format. Right? Am I allowed to say that? Oh God, great. It's fine. Shh. It's already out there. We're good. <laughs> so we have uh, one more scene to show you guys. And then we're gonna uh, kick things off to some audience questions. And just to keep in mind when you're, when you're asking your question, we wanna keep it all very film related. There's so many fun things to talk about in this movie. So yeah, the questions are really endless. So let's watch the scene. Yay. You're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? News travels fast. I was hoping you'd be able to tell me if there have been any sightings tracks, that sort of thing. You got a pretty big price on your head, Mr. Scavenger. Why should I help you? Instead of turning you in. I take it I'll have to make it worth your while. Mm. Let's consider it a cover charge. Because huh. is offering more than that. Wait a minute. That's a boat. That's a boat truckle. Right? No. Oh, come on. They pick locks, am I right? You're not having him. Well. Good luck getting back alive, Mr. Scamander. What with the hole of Makuza on your back? That's the boat truckle. He's so cute. Now you see why you have such a special connection with him. Um, so yeah, let's get things started with some audience questions. Hi, um, so I know that Eddie and Newt are both Hufflepuffs, so I was wondering what house the rest of you are, either your character or what you are in, in real life. Ooh. <laughs> There's a thing you can, you can find out, right? Pottermore, yeah. yeah. So, so they, ha they, they had me, the people from Pottermore, Pottermore came to set and they had 
they wanted to have me do the sorting thing. But uh, the, the website, the um, internet went down in the middle of it, and it was so traumatic to me, I never went back, so I don't oh. know. Yeah, I'm terrified that if I get a house that's different than Queenie's house, then like I've done something terribly wrong, so I've just stayed away from it. I'm sort of superstitious. That I'll Not Slytherin. Not yet, seriously, I'm so scared that I'm going to get the evil one. Okay. It's not evil, though. I mean, no, well, we so, all well, know. No, Slytherin's not evil. It's not. No, no, no. Oh, I thought, I thought you meant the Ilvermorny house. Oh, no, I think these are oh, Hogwarts houses. Oh, we're talking houses. about... Oh. Right oh, that's... Uh, but I, I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> I know Ezra has strong feelings. He's just... You're the biggest Harry Potter fan yeah, here. No, my feelings are so strong that I also refuse to do the Pottermore algorithm because I have too much invested in it. <laughs> I'm a muggle, so I got sh shuffled into uh, Ravenclaw. That was my birthday. Don't talk I, about Ravenclaw that way. I'm sorry. No, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the they rules, man. Muggle, we all know. <laughs> uh, we're all muggles deep down. So then, uh, and then the, oh, but I'm a Hufflepuff in my heart, I think. Yeah. And, and then Ilva Morney was a pug lucky? Oh, yeah. pug -wudgy. Yeah. Pug. <laughs> the representation of Hufflepuff on this stage is great. Yeah. We yeah. never get this. Hufflepuffs are so like misunderstood. Eddie, I'm sure you know. Yeah, no, tell me about it. This is the age of the Hufflepuff. But most exciting was I also did the um, Patronus test. Have you guys done that? Um, so I did the Patronus test, and it was the first time the Patronus test had been done. And they wanted to film me doing it twice to, to go on Pottermore. And I did it once, and I got my Patronas, which I was... Um, uh, Come on. No, 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 I was quite excited about. But they said to, they, they, um, said to me that um, there was no way when I did it a second time it would ever be the same again, because the algorithm is like eight gazillions of these... Um, uh, uh, it will never happen again. And I got the same one twice. And Come it on. Was, it was, I can't remember, I can't, suddenly can't wasn't remember the it, name of the dog. Wasn't it Beagle? It was a Basset Hound. The sweetest freaking dog in the world. So <laughs> and I was so happy. And because he came on screen and he like, he sort of like slightly dopey, like just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it made me really happy. Such a Basset Hound, that's awesome. Oh, I don't know, but I'm thrilled if I am. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask a question for all of you, kind of. Um, I know that you all have like a really wide range of the kinds of films and the kind of parts that you do. Um, and you've all done amazing work in the past and I'm like a huge fan. Uh, and I just wanted to ask um, what kind of inspires you to choose a role and how do you sort of go to work on it? Great question. Oh, uh, sure. I think it's just uh, um, if a story resonates and you've, for me, if I feel like uh, I can honor the character, um, then that's that's sort of the whole of the criteria. There's there's nothing else. And then I think for for me, it's very different how I approach the preparation and execution of different characters. Um, I would say that exactly what Ezra was saying, as far as that instinct when you read a script, like I've done, I've read scripts that I think were really amazing, and then they end up being awful films, and film uh, scripts that are sort of dodgy that end up being good films. There's an alchemy that happens in filmmaking that's kind of intriguing, and and uh, you know it's a, but when you have an instinct with a script, and um, it's what I found with this script. What's amazing about this script is it's there are sort of thriller elements 
there is a darkness to it, but there is a comedy and a kind of heart to it that that wonder that we all had, like sort of that warmth that we felt from the from the Potter films. And yet, I got to the end of the script and I was like properly moved, and I um, and that's all I have to go on is that feeling of like wow, if we can in the process, and who knows whether you will in the process, but like retain that feeling, and particularly on a film of these scales, like to be actually m moved by it, I find it. Um, so that was kind of how I go about it. Um, yeah, all that stuff, and uh, I think I. I think I am attracted to characters that uh, I don't know how to play when I read the script, or I think that um, it'll be a, an, an interesting challenge. Uh, and then, uh, uh, but the, the, there is usually something it's so weird and like actory or something, but that you, that you feel you know the person. Um, uh, and uh, that 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 happened for sure when I read this script. I thought, oh, I know, I know her. Please, God, let me play her. You know, um, and and then I feel like we talk about this a lot in terms of preparation. Um, you kind of don't know what you need, so you do all sorts of weird things. Um, and then, kind of in retrospect, you see that maybe out of those fifty hours, one was really useful. So, and that's a really, really fun part of the process, really just the, the, the free uh, exploration before you get to set and they start judging <laughs> your choices. Um, uh, and uh, costume is really important to me and very, very helpful. I feel like I don't always know what I'm looking for, but then when I find it, it gives me a lot. And shoes, like the, it so informs the way a character moves and everything, so that, there's some, some things like that outside-in stuff, and then there's all the inside-out stuff that's really dopey to talk about, and I can't. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a working actor. Um, don't judge me up until this point. My work. I've done all... <laughs> no, man, same thing. Like, um... Brando used to do a thing like that. Where I wear sweaters like this so people will rub me. <laughs> you heard it, heard it here first, folks. I rub you. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, um, I loved this part. He was very close to me and uh, felt like he was, I was playing like a family member or something. So a part like this comes around every once in a blue moon. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm much newer to the acting world than these fine thespians, so I I'm, um, I you wouldn't know it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, when uh, when I heard about Queenie, when I first had her described to me, um, I felt something that I didn't know that I could feel about a character because I'd. You know, I'd, I'd, I loved the characters that I'd played before, and I found them so interesting and so intriguing. But with, with Queenie, something happened to me. I just, I wanted to protect her. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted her to be seen the way that I saw her, which is um, 
as a woman, you know, people can focus on your appearance and they can assume things about you because of the way that you look. And, and, and even as it was written in the beginning, there were a few allusions to her not being maybe the most intelligent person or things like that just because of the way that she looked. And those actually just disappeared um, a as the script went on. But um, I, I found her to be so pure and um, I just... Oh, I just wanted to to give her life. I wanted to to walk in her shoes. I wanted to know what it felt like to be her, and I also just wanted to take care of her. And um, and I don't know if I'm ever gonna feel like that about another character the way that I feel about her. But you know, I mean, what an honor, right? Like you get you get a character like this potentially once in a lifetime, and I'm so glad that it was in this movie. And that's how Allison turned Queenie from a bombshell to the bomb. <laughs> hey. uh, my question for all of you was, um, we've been so excited to get to see the Wizarding World here in New York um, in the pre-Trump era of the 1920s. And uh, so I was curious, uh, what part of the world or era would each of you like to see the Wizarding World reflected in? Right now? By the way, this, this gentleman's a guy called Jackson Bird. He's a, uh, a huge Harry Potter fan. When I was prepping for this film, I was looking on YouTube and hearing um, extraordinary things. And, and kind of, because I'd been a fan, but I'd never really been to the fandom side of thing. And Jackson came out uh, on, in an amazing video. Um, and it's extraordinary and really worth watching. Uh, as an amazing, amazing human being. Um, and was... Uh, very inspiring to me um, but era wise I freaking love the 20s I love everything about it I love the roaring jazz prohibition gangstery stuff it, it was before the Wall Street crash maybe it was really not fun to live in but it feels fun to live in um, and um, and it was interesting because in the Danish girl and in this I got to kind of spend a bit of time in that period and I am so pleased this was actually the period it chose because I always thought that kind of Gatsby thing might be quite fun yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm excited about the 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 future, the future history of magic. I mean, maybe I, there's so many places you'd you'd want to see like the real magical history of the world, like how they built Stonehenge and the pyramids and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but I'm curious about the, you know, the next magical stage for human beings when we get through this horror show and move on, you know, to, to, to the bright things that I, I do believe are coming for, for humanity and the world. And I think, mm, look, I mean, look at us, we're in an Apple store, like we do have magic and I'm so excited to see what we can do with it in the future, because right now it seems like we're kind of messing up. But um, if we can turn it around, I think it would be pretty spectacular. I'd want to see the magic Woo! future. Yeah. We need magic now more than ever, right? I wanted to sort of drop the bomb and ask if there are any like characters from the past Harry Potter canon that might be rolling around. Can you tell us? There are Warner Brothers snipers. We're being watched. Here. I don't know Absolutely. if you know. We're watching. Things, but no, no, yeah, things, how big brother that was. Things We're have watching. been said in yeah. recent days, so yeah. we know uh, we know some stuff. What have you heard? What have you heard? Yeah, what do you know? You say it first. David Yates himself has has talked about possibly some some Grindelwald action. Watch poker faces. This right? is the <laughs> definition. You're gonna of watch poker them all. Be like. So I mean, uh, 
Ezra, you released a video talking about the history between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. So. That was just a history lesson. Yeah, it was just a history lesson about. And that I, meant absolutely. I mean, in that video, I, specif I specifically said, you know, maybe this connects, maybe this doesn't connect. Maybe I'm just talking about it because I'm obsessed with Harry Potter history. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the most notable events in wizarding history that we know about, right? So. I mean, obviously, Honestly, there are things that. they've told us we're allowed to say, and I still don't say them because I'm so afraid. Sometimes Eddie will say something in an interview, and I'll be like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> okay, well, the, we can't answer all the questions. The guys from Warner Brothers are really just, happy with us. They're just beaming. <laughs> There's a row of people just smiling. Also, you know what ear. the thing is? Is that for the first time, Harry Potter fans get a story that they know nothing about. There's not a book for this, and it's so exciting. It's exciting to me, and I, I don't want to spoil that, you know? Uh, and I think for diehards like us, it's so annoying, because we're like, <laughs> we want to know everything, and we don't, and it's hard sometimes, but that's life. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your questions. Those were awesome. Thank you guys for showing up. I'm so happy and excited for you guys to see this movie. I know you're all going to love it. And a big cheer to the cast of Fantastic Beasts. Go see the movie, November 18th.